Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show sponsored by 888 Sport. I'm your host, George Ellick, and today I'm joined by two expert tipsters, Andy Holding and Rory Delaghi, as we look at day one of the Cheltenham Festival. It is back, the fans are back, and this is your Tuesday preview. We'll be looking at all seven races on the card, including the Supreme, the Arkle, the Champion Hurdle and the Mayor's Hurdle. But before I speak to the guys about their selections and their tips, we were lucky enough to be joined earlier, Andy and I, by 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty as we take a trip down memory lane and look ahead at his thoughts on day one of the festival. Yeah, superb to be joined by 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty himself as we preview the first day, the Tuesday of the Cheltenham Festival. And so much is made, Barry, about the first day, the raw before the Supreme. Where, as, you're a, you know, as, as a punter, as a fan, whether you're watching it on the sofa, watching it on course, it's incredibly exciting. What's it like as a jockey, you know, going from your, your early days down at Presby Park to, 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 to 2020, your final day there? What's it like arriving at the course, that sense of anticipation and jumping off for the first? I would just arrive and on Cheltenham any day, but especially obviously the first day of the festival, the anticipation, the, the anxiety, everything. It's just the buzz is unbelievable. And you're there, you're usually there at maybe half 10 or 11 o'clock. So there's a good build up. But as you come in and you just make that turn to the start to face the tape in the Supreme and you hear that roar, it probably goes over your head in your early years because you're not expecting it so much. But as you get a little bit older and you can savour the moment, it is, it, it's, it's a magic moment because it, it, it symbolises the kickstart of what's an amazing week. With the Supreme, you know, you mentioned they're inexperienced jockeys. It is incredible that the moment that all the, the build-up leads towards is, at the end of the day, a race between a lot of inexperienced horses who've never seen anything like the field sizes and the crowds that you get for the, for the Supreme and for the Cheltenham Festival. We talk about how that might impact certain horses in the Supreme. Is it difficult? I mean, how do you, how do you manage that uh, issue in terms of the inexperienced horses in that first race? Yeah, well, it's, I suppose getting on them quietly, I would have always found, you know, get on your horse quietly, keep them calm, get them to post as relaxed as possible. But some horses, you mightn't have any um, say in that because they could be just wear to the moon, both because they're primed for the, the day, but then the occasion adds to that as well. So different horses react differently. Um, for Chocolate Medici Supreme Constitution Hill, you'd imagine it would be fairly relaxed where you would expect to see John Bond on edge. So it's, it's, those preliminaries can take a lot out of a horse, but also a jockey as well. And it was the moment that I would remember my career was going to post in the Arkle for Sprinter Sacker, I think it was 2012. And for me, the whole festival surrounded him. I'm just going to post second race and I'm hacking down and I'm thinking, wow, we're here already. The festival's just started and this is the big moment. And then just snapping out and saying, no, just, it's just a horse race, keep it simple. Um, and I think you need that. You need that clarity of mind just to put all the noise, all the razzmatazz out of your mind and just focus on the simplicity of what it is. It's a horse race and do, do your best for yourself and your horse. But Barry, Andy, is, it, is there any danger as a jockey riding in the Supreme that you can get almost dragged along and carried away with the sort of noise reverberating around the, around the, um, the Cotswold Hills? I mean, you can hear it at the top of the hill. And obviously, the, the fans react to the, the commentary and obviously there's a roar, there's an anticipation. Is there sometimes a, a, a case as a jockey you could kick too soon because, you're, like I say, you're being reactionary with, with what's going on, the noises around you, or do you just have to stay focused on what you're doing? Well, that's probably the difference, is, is staying focused and your experienced rider. Or you could have an inexperienced rider who's a cool head, um, 
you won't so much hear the roar top of the hill facing the third last but that whole you know the build up everything your blood is up you're pumping so it's just having the cool head in that moment just to say no not yet wait another little bit longer so it's some riders will get sucked into that um, but obviously the more experienced the cooler heads the fellow who really knows our lady for that matter what their plan is and are sticking to it um, but you have the pace of the race for me Cheltenham that's what sets it apart is because the pace of certain parts of the race dictates where you need to be and it's the rider who understands all of those things and can take everything into account and Rachel did it brilliantly last year we all refer to right place right time but right place right time comes from the pace so if the early pace says you need to be further back than mid div and then as the pace would drop turning away from the winning post or a second to go you can creep into a position it can roll on again down the hill away from the stands you might need to just be happy to fall back another few positions then it steadies again on the climb um, up past the ditch you can start trying to creep in again it's it's all position and the change in pace through the race dictates where you need to be and that's what the best riders keeping it simple right place right time and just understanding Cheltenham we talk about there being bigger crowds for the Cheltenham Festival. I think there are bigger crowds for these podcasts and videos on the Odds Checker Betting Show than we get for the rest of the year. We know we're welcoming lots of new viewers and listeners to this, but those who've been listening every week, a few people out there might have some decent anti-post tickets for Constitution Hill in the first at big prices, such as 40s and 33s, after you gave a, a positive mention for him a few months ago now. Um, for those who are just tuning in for the first time, tell us about your special relationship with the favourite in the Supreme. Um, myself and Warren Ewing, a good friend of mine, we bought him as a foal. Um, I kept him here at home for three years. We broke him, we pre-trained him, and he was so relaxed and so quiet. The kids, all three of our kids even had a, like, sitting him at one stage, and there's a video out there of Orla, our, our middle child. So she was nine at the time, and she's trotting around the arena on him um, as a three-run, which is unheard of, but that's, that's how relaxed he is. Um, his work was always very good as when we had him, when he went into training. Um, and uh, I was recommending him to everyone, but thankfully Michael Buckley took me up on it, and uh, he purchased them, and he's been uh, he's been blazing, going great guns in, in seven barrels since then. Barry, that's got to be there for a, a massive advantage, isn't it? Uh, going into a race like the Supreme, like I said, with fifty thousand race goers there, there's going to be a crackling atmosphere, particularly in the parade ring before it's the first race for two years when fans have been in the in the ground. So you've got obviously temperament's going to be a massive part of it, and but what, judged by what you're saying and what Nicky said about him, he basically sleeps, eats and repeats, doesn't he? So that, that's, he, he's got the ideal constitution mentally and obviously physically as well. Yeah, exactly. And it, it counts for so much, especially as a young horse at the festival. Um, and maybe in years to come, he might be too lazy and too laid back. But at the minute, it's definitely a massive benefit to be in the, you know, be in the saddling boxes beforehand. You're going to have a buzz around. There's going to be noise. There's excitement. These are youngsters and it's going to affect them. So you need a horse, ideally, who's going to be relaxed and just not faced by the occasion. Andy, we're going to be talking to yourself and Roy Delaghi previewing this race in just a few minutes. So I don't want to get you all your thoughts, but if Constitution Hill in this stellar supreme field does what he's done or builds on that, where would you rank him in terms of the most exciting prospects to come through this race in recent years? I think just in him in isolation, you'd already be looking towards next year's champion hurdle and thinking... OK, let's get the Supreme out of the way first, but he's that kind of horse, he's that good. I mean, his technique over his hurdles, 
You know, it's a fairly small sample size. He's only jumped 16, but he hasn't made a mistake at any of them. Um, but it's that turn of foot that he's got, George. I mean, Barry will know as well. I think he's the one horse in the line that, that we know has got a deadly turn of foot. And it's not just a turn of foot off a slow pace. He's actually been tested when they've gone a good gallop, which is obviously uh, the sign of a very good horse. You know, time figure-wise, there's other horses on par with him on the numbers, i.e., you, you know, your Dysart Dynamos uh, and your Segerhards. But they've done it from the front when they've gone a relentless gallop and burnt a lot off. This fella, he's totally different. He'll sit in behind. He's going to be the stalk and pounce horse. If he's there two out and he's still going well, he has got that turn of foot in his locker, I think, that might just make the difference. We'll find out more on your thoughts on the Supreme in a second there. But you mentioned the champion hurdle. And before we let you go, Barry, we've got to talk about the champion hurdle. Um, four horses you won the champion hurdle on. I'm going to quickly test Andy to see if he can remember all four before we ask you uh, to, to remember those. I think Punjabi was the first. Um, Bouverdere. And... Two more. Two more. Jeski. Very good. <laughs> Struggling with the third. 2020. Fourth. Just two oh, years um, ago. Oh, the mayor, uh, Epitome. There you go. That's, why, me, that's yeah. why he does what he does. Goodness me. Stanley Tubmax. Which is the one that um, stands out in your mind as being, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to choose your favourite champion hurdle winner, but which one sticks out as being the, the happiest memory? Is it the first Punjabi? Was it the one just a couple of years ago, Epitome, or one of those in the middle? Um, being honest, it, it's hard to choose. Um, Epitant was really special because it was like last year and I knew that going into the festival and to get a winner on the first day and for it to be one of the features, to get that in the bag, um, I was ecstatic, really was. Um, then if I look at the others, Jeski, who I have a great connection with Jessica Harrington over the years and her husband Johnny was very unwell with cancer and passed away shortly after. That was a brilliant victory. And Punjabi, the first one, um, I've been second in the champion hurdle and Max Joy, I was probably about 30 at this stage and uh, I was just wondering was I ever going to win a champion hurdle because I was lucky enough to have won all the other main events so um, I thought this one might be that. So yeah, they were all they were all special days really um, for different reasons and it's, uh, yeah, you're just a champion hurdle or any of those, any winner in Chatham is, no matter what it is, that's how much it means, it, you, it's hard to split them. You think appreciates it can serve it up tiny suckle this year? I really do. I do. I think she's a very, very good mare. Um, she hasn't had to beat a superstar yet, but that doesn't mean she isn't a superstar herself. Um, but this fella, I loved him last season. He got better and better as the year went. I thought his performance in the Supreme was electric. Um, I was looking forward to him as being the novice chaser, the standout horse as a novice chaser this season. Um, Willie is really happy with how he's gone about it. I was in Navan on Saturday and we were chatting about it. Um, the fact that he doesn't have to worry about him coming out of a hard race, he's going there straight. He doesn't have to worry about the bounce factor. He feels he's got him where he wants him. Uh, David Casey rides him on his work. He's happy with him. There's no concern about schooling, so they are is jumping. So that was the only slight concern I had was, was the lack of match practice, and that was that is no concern to the Mullins camp. So I think he's a big player. He's he's the toughest um, assignment she's been handed. Yeah, it's really interesting to say that because. I, like you, Barry, thought we'd appreciate that that is, is going to be in his favour, the fact that he hasn't had a hard season, he's going to go in there fresh. But it's amazing, I was looking at the stats to find out if any horse has won without a prep run. And in the 95-year history of the champion hurdle, no horse has ever won without a prep run, which is quite extraordinary, isn't it, really? So he's got to, he's got to defy history.
I suppose the closest I got was my 10 to yours when he was second to any power. I think he'd been off nearly two years before that. Um, he did give a blow, um, but he'd been off, and that's a long, long time. Um, it can be interesting, but I just, if you're talking value, there is obviously the mayor is very skinny at her price. She's facing a very good horse on him. There's a little bit of value in him. Would you, would you have a few quid in each way and cover yourself, I wonder, Andy? I think if anyone's going to break a tradition or a history like that, it's going to be Willie Mullins, isn't it? Also, it's where, you know, it's where history is made. It's a Chapman yeah, Festival. Exactly, it's what it's yeah. all about. Um, Barry, finally, on, on Tuesday's preview, what would be the, your, your nap of the day? What would be the one bet you'd have if we were to give you a free tenner? Free tenner? Well, I suppose my heart would be in Constitution Hill. Um, I think he's obviously very good. He's a worthy favourite, but it's a strong race. Um, but I'd say I'd say to pose the mayor would appreciate it. Roll the dice. Pose the mayor would appreciate it. Thank you very much to 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Garrity there. We're going to talk to Barry in our Wednesday, Thursday and Friday previews at the top of the show, so do check them out as well. Speak to you soon, Barry. Cheers, Barry. Thank you. Always great to catch up with the legend, the Chelton Festival legend that is 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Garrity and getting his thoughts. But now... It is time to get the thoughts of Andy and Rory ahead of Tuesday's racing. But before we get into it, a reminder that Odds Checker is the only tip that you need for the Cheltenham Festival. It's only what's well, under a week away now. And if you're having a bet, you'll get the most out of it by using Odds Checker. Compare odds and find the best special offers for every single race. Right, this is it. The beginning of the mammoth record and it is the supreme novice hurdle that we're going to start with probably the race that we have spoken about the most on the odds checker betting show so far this year and at the back end of last year as well of course all these odds i'm going to be reading out are well mainly no run and no bet as well with plenty still left in who might not run and sagarhard uh, at the moment looks like one of those he's joint favorite with constitution hill both nine to four dice art dynamo uh, is 11 to four john von 9-2, Kilcrute 7-1, Mighty Potter 10-1, Stateman 16, Fabiolo 16-1, 20-1, 20-1, before we, we get into the crux of the racing, we should mention, given this is the first race we're going to preview, the most important thing with the festival often is, is the weather and the rain. What are we anticipating? We're recording this just before midday on Thursday, so... Uh, just five days until the festival starts. How's it looking uh, to be on Tuesday? Well, the um, the weather's looking remarkably good. I looked um, a couple of weeks ago and thought we were going to get a lot of rain and we could be, you know, um, starting on very soft ground. But most of that rain has disappeared. There's spits and spots over the weekend that I can see. Uh, and the, the weather site that I use that, that I find tends to be most accurate is suggesting that... Um, uh, almost unbroken sunshine uh, the day before the festival starts. A little bit overcast on Tuesday, but temperatures up to 13 or 14 degrees suggest the ground is going to be drying out um, to the extent that we may well have um, watering before the, the festival starts. So um, if you've, um, if, like a friend of mine, if you punted on soft ground and stuck, stuck half, your, <laughs> half of your balance on that to, uh, to kick off your festival, you might be in a bit of trouble. So the first tip of the, of the show is wear sunglasses if you're going to the, the race course on, on Tuesday. Uh, Andy, let, let's look at the Supreme. Um, you're someone who, with your, your, your time figures and, and your speed ratings and the rest of it, your, your record in these novice hurdles uh, when you're ranking horses who've, who've only won a couple of times is very good. I've read out the prices there. Let's make it pretty simple. Who's the one you want to be with at this stage? Um, well, there's 28 races, isn't it, throughout the course of the week, so we don't want to peak too soon. <laughs> But um, I think we're in danger of self-combusting here with this race. Um, plus the fact that the crowd's going to be 
even more electric than normal. The anticipation is going to be <coughs> at full throttle. Bookmakers are going to be wanting to take your money. They're going to be giving you special odds, special dispensations and extra place terms. So it's a race really to get stuck into quite heavily. Um, if, if you haven't already had a bet, like you have, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we, we won't uh, mention the price, but you're in a really good position on, on Constitution Hill, mm. who, as we've talked about several times on the podcast that we've done, is um, the best UK horse by, by quite some way, certainly based on the time figures anyway that, w that we've got. Funny enough, his, his best performance was the first one on the clock when he beat Mai Tai. Um, that day he was spectacular. Um, he really announced himself as a, a, a novice of some repute. And then he was quite rightly favourite for the Tolworth. Um, back to the same tracks in the ground, and he was just as good. Um, probably didn't beat a, a deep gra uh, grade one field. Uh, there's been horses that have come out of it and, and boosted the form a little bit further down the line. Um, but it was just the manner in which he's um, achieved those victories. He's got that huge turn of foot, which hasn't probably necessarily been seen with the other horses yet. They've gone a really good gallop from the front, the Chiquerard, ground them into a submission at the Dublin Racing Festival. Dysart Dynamo clocked a big number in the Moscow Flyer again from the front, um, grinding his, his, his opponent into the ground. This fella's totally different. He's a stalk and pounds horse. He'll just sit in behind. He's going to get a strongly run race, which he's already proven in already. Mm -hmm. Um, so it gives Nico de Boinville license, really, just to kind of try, you know, to ride a race in, in, in off the speed. That's certainly the way I see it. I don't think the other horses have quite got the electric change of gear that he's shown. I mean, he's shown that turn of foot as well in heavy ground. Mm. Um, so he's going to get the better of the ground on the first day. I think it'll probably be still good to soft, so there's going to be plenty of ease in it. He's just probably got about pretty much everything you look for, plus the fact that he's got a bomb-proof temperament. We've listened to Barry about him being a lamb at home. <laughs> Nicky Henderson says... You know, he's, he's, he's basically fast asleep in his box, isn't he, most of the time? Mm. So I think we have, you've got to emphasise that as well. The likes of Dysart Dynamo, who's obviously a free-going sort. So Gerhard, you know, he's potential to, you know, get a little bit hot as well. You know, John Bond's not quite... You know, he's, he's got a bit warm on, on the odd occasion. So those other three horses, his main market rivals, all have to have their sort of enthusiasm checked. We're, we're presuming that Sir Gerhard will go for the other race, so that, that's probably one um, option that he hasn't got a face out of the way. Uh, there's lots of other horses you can fancy from an East Bike perspective. I know Roy will talk about Three Stripe Life, a horse that I like. Chase Dams to Gerard, of course, last time out. You know, you don't want to rule out Mighty Potter as well, who's a grade one winner. So, good strength in depth. Should be a, a decent size field. But ultimately, I think the pace that they'll go and the way that this race will develop should really suit Constitution Hill to be bang there two out and then turning for home. Hopefully that turn of foot that he showed on his last two wins up a hill at Sandown will be uh, the, the end product um, in, in the Super. And that's the way I see it anyway. Getting goosebumps hearing you say that, Andy. I'm imagining not, not long to wait now. Uh, Rory, how do you see it? Uh, Andy's absolutely spot on with, with, the, um, with the tactics of the race and the way it will set up. And that's, you know, uh, of all the jockeys riding in the race, Nico de Boinville will be happiest with the, um, with the potential setup there because his horse wants to stalk and, uh, and produce a turn of foot. And, you know, a couple of his main dangers want to go from the front and one of them John Bond has gone from the front because he's kind of been forced to do that but that won't happen uh, on the day I think he'd be happier, happier sitting in behind the leaders as well but it looks like it's going to be a really strongly run race so there should be no um, no hard luck stories um, and Constitution Hill if he handles uh, you know the different scenario there you know the bottom the, the concern with him is that he's 
He's only had two races of any sort in his career. They've both come on soft or heavy ground at Sandown, um, and Cheltenham's a very different track. So his inexperience concerns me. I think he's the best horse in this race. But I think if you look back through um, the results of the Supreme over the last 20 years, you see a lot of best horses in the race getting beaten. Um, and you know, there's a classic example of um, uh, when Alfaroff won. Alfaroff, a very good horse, but uh, the three horses who followed him home were all better hurdlers than him. But the way the race panned out that day suited him and suited his jockey. Um, and, and maybe that, that, that will actually work well for Constitution Hill. But the fact that you do need to be very savvy in this race, you need to be able to ride the, um, uh, ride the bumps and, and be able to, um, to overcome potential issues in running means that his, his inexperience is a bit of a concern. Now, I know Nicky Henderson has come here to the Supreme um, several times in the past with horses with almost identical um, profiles, but I think this is a tougher race to win than it was 20 years ago. Um, everything has, has, got, um, uh, has got experience. You get a lot of horses coming through the point-to-point -point field, which is beneficial to them, a lot of horses coming through strong bumpers. Um, and that's, you know, that hardens them up and means that they're, they're not lacking in any kind of know-how. They're, they're novices in name only, essentially. Um, whereas he really is a novice with, with just those two runs. He's clearly exceptional. And for Nicky Henderson to say he's the most extra extraordinary horse I've seen in years, is a remarkable statement from a man who's had so many absolute superstars through his hands just in the last decade. So I've got no issue with him potentially being, you know, the absolute superstar in this race, but that doesn't guarantee him a win here in what's going to be a, uh, a tough contest. So who would you be siding with at the prices at the moment? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to go, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a massive fan of John Bond, um, and I can see the chances of those in single figure prices, but the, the one that I've backed for the race at, at much bigger odds is Three Stripe Life. Now, obviously he was behind Sir Gerhardt last time out, um, and he was beaten in the grade one um, by, um, by Mighty Potter at Christmas. But he shaped very well in both of those races. Um, he's probably a little bit unlucky not to win, actually, on the, on the first occasion. And I, I thought the, um, uh, the Leverage Town uh, grade one was the best novice hurdle I've seen this season. Uh, with Sir Gerhardt, now he was a little bit larry early on, um, but I thought he was very, very impressive in the end. Um, the Three Strike Life was a, was a clear second. Um, and Colonel Mustard was third. And they were miles clear of a good field. They pulled an awfully long way clear. Um, and I just think that's exceptionally strong form. So Three Strike Life has become a big price because he's been put in his place twice in theory. But I think he's always gonna run a big race in, a, in a, a contest like this. I think the stronger the pace they go, the more it will suit him as well. And he'll be running onto the line. So I think he can easily hit the frame. Um, you, at the moment, you're only getting three places, but I think you, you're almost certainly going to get four places on the day. And he would appeal at, at 20 to 1 and bigger at those kind of prices. Yeah, three stroke live, 20 to 1 as it stands at the moment. As you say, just three places at the moment, but sure to be four, I mean, possibly even five, depending on how many go down there. Do check the odds checker app or, or online to see the place terms. Um, just quick question for you, because it's something I've, I've heard a couple of people say when trying to. Um, argue against the case of the Constitution Hill and Dysart Dynamo, almost saying that the fact that neither have come off the bridle yet is, is almost a negative, where you know you talk about experienced horses and wanting to have that, whereas you've got a John Bond who was made to work for his win last time. Do you fall into the camp as that being just a sign of how good they've been so far, or would you have liked to have seen them? Because you know, it's very unlikely we're going to see one of these win hard held uh, coming up on, on Tuesday. I think it's just the nature of novice hurdles, isn't it? And the, and the, and the very uh, dynamics of them. Um, and the fact that they have been so good that they haven't come off the bridle. I mean, you, you could argue that, um, that you know, with their, with their respective run styles, that's led that to happen. I Dysart Dynamo just got to the front and he, he, nothing could go with him. Mm. Um, 
hence the fact that he didn't come off the broad at, at Punchestown. And, and um, with, with Constitution Hill, he just hasn't had he, he hasn't had an opponent yet of that ilk to, to run against. But at least he's like I say, he's shown a push button turn of foot. Mm. The others have, have done it in very different ways, haven't they? To Gerard John Bond. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Bond's come off the bridle, so that's good for him. If you, you know, if you're a, um, a fan of John Bond, and there's plenty who, who still are, uh, I actually think he, that was his best run, even though he was workmanlike. I, yeah, I'd agree with that. Certainly, on, on with regards to time figures, mm. that was definitely his best run. Albeit, I don't think the form was quite as good as the, the other. I mean, don't forget when when um, Dysart Dynamo won the, won the Moscow Fly. He did it in a very fast time, but he beat a horse who, you know, was placed in a shallow hurdle. Mm. He, he was no Muppet, the, the, the Gordon yeah, Elliott yeah. horse that he beat. So I think we're, like I said, I think we're dealing with a very, very high standard of horse here. The fact that Kilcrook, we haven't mentioned him, mm. you know, second in a champion bumper, win of a grade one bumper, he's sort of fourth or fifth in the betting. Um, and he has got a bit to find on the figures, but he's, again, he's no Muppet either. So this is a proper heat. Um, one, I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're not, Overplaying, you know, just mm. because it is the first race and, uh, and we're, we're getting carried away. We're not. This is the best ju- uh, novice hurdle I think I've seen at the festival to k- kick off for at least the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah, in stark contrast to last year's, well, ended up being a procession really for, for Appreciate It and a race that lacked any da- depth and, and was a pretty small field as well. And, and I think it's indicative as well that Sagerhart, he would be, and any other year, mm. he'd be a short prize favourite to win this race. I think the only reason they're looking to <coughs> split them up is because they've got Kilcrook, they've got Dysart Dynamo, and they're thinking, well, it, it's no point running Sagerhard and Dysart Dynamo against each other because they're both three goers from the front. So you, it, they're taking each other on. So I think they've had to um, withdraw one of them and, and think, well, which, is the, which one's going to be the best suited to perhaps dominating in the Ballymon? They probably think, well, Dysart Dynamo's more a natural two-miler, same as Kilcrook, you know, look at his breathing, etc. And I think it's almost process elimination. They've ended up with Sir Gerhard. <laughs> I think that's the only decision they've made, and it's mm. it's a tough one at, at the same time, isn't it? Right, twenty-seven races. It's not been made yet. No, yeah. it's not. Well, in it's it. nine tablets to start. I should either. say because people will be watching, listening to this in a few days' time before Tuesday's racing, and um, you know at the moment it looks like Sir Gerhard, looking at the exchange prices, um, will be running in the Ballymore, but we don't know that for sure, and um, things can change. Yeah, a lot of people were surprised when, when York Hill went, mm. um, went by more, and I think a, a lot of people were surprised when Champion Fever uh, went supreme and, uh, and then won, and won a very good supreme mm. as well, beating uh, Champion Hurdle Horse. Um, and talking about how you're talking about this maybe being the best uh, supreme in 20 years, but it's not that long ago we had um, Altior beating Min, beating Boober Dare, yeah. and then I've already mentioned uh, Alfarov beating mm. Spirit Sun, beating Sprinter Sacra, beating Q Card. Yeah, that was the first four runners. So if this is if this is as good as either of those, then it's an absolute cracker. Absolutely. Well, it will certainly make for an interesting start to the festival, uh, as will the Arkle, the second race on the cards. Uh, Edward Stone uh, leading the charge, hopefully uh, looking to make it two 0 to uh, to Great Britain in the in the Presbury Cup after Constitution Hill wins the first. Um, Edward Edward Stone is five to two. That's the last time I mentioned Constitution Hill in these uh, pods. Uh, Blue Lord is seven to two. Riviera Tell four to one. Uh, Horton Colour seven to one. Saint Sam eights. Course Sublime fourteens with Magic Days. 16 to 1 bar. And Andy, you've been um, banging the Riviere de Tell drum on this show uh, for the past couple of months. 4 to 1 now, just a tiny bit bigger uh, than Blue Lord at 7 to 2. Uh, anything changing your mind or are you still in that camp? I, I am 
looking at this race a little bit um, with a view of, uh, of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, because having already backed Riviera de Tell, um, I'm, I'm still adamant that she, she's probably got the best form coming in here. Uh, I'll put it this way, if Fernie Hollow was in this race here, I think he'd be an even money chance. And, and he beat Riviere de Tell only narrowly um, at, at the first um, Lepistan meeting over Christmas. And that time figure that day suggested to me that that was the best novice chase we'd seen so far this season, either side of the Irish Sea. Riviere de Tell prior to that run had clocked a phenomenal time figure at Navan. I actually fancied her strongest to beat Fernie Hollow. And it was only by a narrow margin she failed to justify that belief. She was just a little bit slightly novicey here there and everywhere. I think the, the ditch down the back straight four out, she was just she just lost the, the length here then everywhere and it gave the advantage to the Mullins runner. But she she stuck her head down, she stayed and strongly all the way to the line. That was the first time that she actually been ridden in behind as well. She dominated the first three races. So it shows that she can come off the pace. They rode her uh, similarly last time out, the Dublin Racing Festival behind St. Sam went a really good gallop. Her jumping up until the last was absolutely flawless. She was. She met everything in her stride. She measured it. Measured every fence. Um, looked very, very assured. And then she just saw a long stride at the last. Jack Kennedy sat on her, and she just took off in his hands and dived at it. She, from being a length and a half in front and, and still you know, not fully extended, she she came out away from the fence, a length behind. Couldn't quite get back up again, but she was definitely rallying to rallying to the cause. And I think she would have beaten Blue Lord comfortably had she jumped the last. Um, um, uh, you know, in, a, in a better fashion, and I was surprised after the race as well that they uh, they adjusted Blue Lord to a three to one favourite, and, th and they they went like five to one Riviera de Tell, which to my eyes seemed bizarre because I thought Riviera de Tell was by far, far away the best horse in the race. I think she'll turn around the form with Blue Lord, who I thought jumped a little bit indifferently at Lepitan, and I think he only won it because Riviera de Tell chucked it away. So I think she represents the because they're the best one. That the Arkle, the Irish Arkle is usually one of the best races, if not the best. And and the run behind Fernie Hollow on the numbers suggests that she represents that form in a, in a in a pretty solid way. Again, I think this race is going to be strongly run. Rory will back that up as well. You've got um, for pleasure in there. You've got Magic Days in there. You've got Gabby Nacco. I think they're going to go quite hard on him. So you've got plenty of pace on up the front. Yeah. And it ultimately allow something like a Riviera de Tell, obviously it's going to play into the strengths of Edwardstown as well, but Riviera de Tell to, to wait in behind like she has been. Um, I really do fancy her, yeah. She's probably one of the ones I'm the most quietly confident about without really shouting it from the rooftops that she's going to win this. So I think, look, whatever beats her, I think I'll win, put it like that. So yeah, big fan of Riviera de Tell. Sounds like a bit of a shout from the rooftops. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's yeah. over now. Rory, how do you see the article? Well, we discussed Riviera de Tell at Christmas, and I think we both came to the conclusion at that stage that she was a great each way bet for the Arkle because she was a surprisingly big price at that stage. Yeah, and you were going to go one, for it. Like um, so, although you know she'd, um, uh, you know she got turned over, um, she got turned over by a very, very good horse. Um, you knew they weren't going to step up and trip, and then she does have an, an entry over two and a half. But the Arkle was always going to be the race for her. She gets the mare's allowance in there, so she was a really solid bet. I'm not, I'm not as keen as Andy to be with her now at the prices. One thing that, that has been mentioned there, she is worse off with Blue Lord now because she's been getting the, the juvenile alliance all season. She doesn't get that at Cheltenham. So it's only two pounds, yeah. um, but that is that two pounds you know, would make a difference in a very tight finish. I agree with Andy. I think she, I, I'm not sure she would have won comfortably because I think Blue Lord rather idled in front as well. But I thought she 
come into the last year was the Rag Race winner. I think Jack made a slight mistake there when he pulled his whip and he just, he just sort of lost contact with her and they've been going along very nicely until then. She just got a little bit um, unbalanced coming to the last and then threw in that, um, that jump that, um, that enabled Blue Lord to get past her and then cross her, which was, which was the crucial aspect of the race. I don't think there's a huge amount between them. I'm not a, I agree with Andy. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Blue Lord on that performance. I don't think he wins an Arco jumping the way he did there. Um, there's two horses that I like in the race. Edward Stone is absolutely rock solid. And the great thing about him, if you want to back him, is that all the wise guys would be against him. All the stats are against Edward Stone. He's had three runs at Cheltenham. He's been unplaced every time. He's trained by Alan King, who's had 86 consecutive losers at the Cheltenham Festival since Oopsie Zorns won the... Um, uh, the Ryanair seven You're years ago. You're selling it well, this Rory. Yeah. You know? No, but this is the whole thing. All the, stat, all the stats say can't win. Now, I, I, I like the stats when they point you in a certain direction, but sometimes, you know, they're a very easy um, fallback for people who don't want to look at the form. And the form says Edward Stone is the best horse in this race. Uh, his, his, his wins have come in smallish fields, but he ran an absolute cracker. If you look back at the county hurdle, if you take the view that, oh, he's, he doesn't handle Cheltenham, look at the county hurdle last season. He ran an absolute stormer there, giving weight to all but one of the horses in front of him, coming from further back than everything that beat him um, and not beaten far at all in the end. The winner of that, he was given the best part of a stone to, won a grade one next time out. So that form is very, very good. He's always looked like he was going to be a chaser. Um, he's obviously, he's also an eight-year-old. People will tell you eight-year-olds have got a, have got a, a negative record in this league. Yeah, and a couple just of, did, yeah. Yeah, a couple of, a couple of uh, superstars, though, have won it as, as eight-year-olds who've, who've maybe had an extra year on the sidelines, like Sizing Europe and uh, Moscow Flyer, um, who would have run in the champion hurdle when, um, when the meeting was abandoned with foot and mouth. Uh, and he's very much in that category, I think. He's, he's benefited from having a little bit of time off. He's looked the finished article this season, whereas he used to be quite keen as a hurdler. He had lots of ability, didn't always channel it in the right direction. And this season, he's been doing everything perfectly. Um, he was, I thought he was very impressive at Warwick last time. I, I know it was only a four-runner race, but um, all of those horses are useful uh, in that uh, contest. And he travelled and jumped superbly throughout. So I think he's got everything in his favour. The race will set up for him as well. And he will probably be third favourite at some stage between now and the race starting, because they will punt Blue Lord, mm. uh, particularly if the Irish win the first race as well, and they'll also punt Riviera to tell. And Edward Stone, who's clearly the best horse in the race, who should be about 15 to 8, will touch 4 to 1, I predict. He might, not, he might not go off at that price, but I think people will fall over themselves to take him on because the stats say that he's one to take on, and I think he is the best horse in the race. If he was 15 to 8 or 2 to 1, I'd probably leave him alone. Um, but I think he will drift to a backable price, and I'll, I will back him. Will you, back, will you back him each way at that price, or, or win? No, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to go win only. I'm not, okay. I'm not that much of a scumbag. Um, <laughs> the one horse I have backed each way here at the post is uh, Cursibly, um, uh, because he's um, his form's a little bit up and down. He's had breathing problems, but he's, yeah. he's been a very, very talented horse. He was, he was uh, placed in the Triumph Hurdle. Um, he looked very, very good over hurdles. Last. He's changed tables a couple of times, but stayed in the same, in the same colours. Uh, he looked like he was going to win the Morgiana last season, cruised up um, to take the lead at the last, and then didn't get home because his breathing um, uh, affected him again. It was disappointing after that. Um, but he's come back. He's moved to Henry de Bromhead this season. He's run well in his first couple of um, chase starts. Obviously, he's got loads to find with, uh, with Riviera de Tell, uh, having been uh, third behind her uh, at Christmas. He won easily at Goran last time out when he was basically, you know, Rachel had to yank him back constantly through the race because he was going so well. So that form doesn't read particularly well, bad time figure. Um, but he jumped well and he got a bit of confidence from winning that. Um, that was the first time he had a tongue tie back on 
uh, this season. Clearly, you know, he does mm -hmm. need a tongue tie. Good ground will suit him. That's always, I mean, it's, it's not so much he doesn't, ha he doesn't handle soft ground, but horses who have historic breathing problems tend to perform better on good ground because it it's, um, puts less stress on them. So I can see him travelling really strongly and being one of the last off the bridle in this race. Whether he comes up the hill is, is open to debate. Um, but I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Henry de Bromman has him, you know, a, an absolute peak. And I, he's one of the few horses in the race I can see taking a big step forward in what they've done already. He's in the um, Grand Annual as well, but I, I'd like to think this is the race they'll run him in. Um, and you know, I've been with him 25 to 1 and, and upwards earlier in the season. I, I don't want to go too much shorter, knowing that he does, you know, mm. historically has had that issue. But um, hopefully it won't bother him here, and I can, I can just see him travelling really, really strongly um, as one or two of them fall away and getting himself into a winning position. Whether he's able to convert that, I'm not sure, but I think he'll hit the frame. Chris, I believe now 14 to 1 best price as it stands at the moment. As I mentioned, all the bookies, um, not the exchanges, but the bookies up on the odds checker grids, all non no, no, no bet now. So if he does take up the other entry, you will get your money back. Uh, on then to the Ultima, the first handicap of the Cheltenham Festival. And we have plenty still in there at the moment. Uh, Death Duty, 7 to 1. Does he know 8 to 1? Noble Yates, 9 to 1. Fantasticast, 10 to 1. Fleur, 10 to 1. Fullback, 12s. Um, Kurt Rambler, 12s. Come on, Teddy, 14s. Schoolboy uh, School Hours, plenty of others, 14s as well. A uh, bit of guesswork, I guess, goes in here. Plenty of these, Andy, have entries elsewhere in the week as well. Um, but at this stage, you know, as I mentioned, if they do take up those other entries, you do get your money back. Um, any any value for you if you had any bets in the Ultima? Um, I haven't uh, as, <coughs> as of yet. Um, I mean, Vintage Clouds winning this race last year was a real stat buster, wasn't it? I think, <laughs> you know, he's an 11-year-old, you know, he couldn't be a millennial-old. Um, I think he'd had too many runs over fences. I think you predominantly want to look at either novices or second-season chasers. Um, but the one thing he did have in spades was Cheltenham Festival form, and that's something that um, I think you probably is of benefit. I don't, I don't think it's in tablets of stone. So there's a lot of horses in this race that don't qualify on that score. Um, one that does, of course, is Does He Know, who's one of the market leaders. He's already course and distance winner. He's a very game likable horse. I think when Kim Bailey's got a handicap project on his mind, um, Imperial Aura, <coughs> etc. I mean, they, they just come unstuck with one last year, didn't they? The horse finished second of Vinci's Cloud. That was a painful. Painful six minutes to sit through that last year when you, you look as though you got the win all the way round and then happy go lucky. Happy go lucky, yeah, that was an absolute killer that was to find that Vintage Clouds come and done, done you. It's like of all the horses <laughs> in all the world to come and do you, it was a one that had um, you know been round the block more than a tramp's dog. Um, so you, you've got to you've got to consider, does he know? Um, but there's another one, if he gets in, and I don't know what the plans are, because I think he's in the Kim Muir as well. There'll be a lot of horses coming out of this. Mm. Yeah, he, he needs quite a few, but I'm a massive fan of uh, uh, Jericho Rock, who hasn't actually won yet this season, but he's run down well in every single time he's turned up. Um, he was second to Pat's Fancy, wasn't he, at Chepster early in the season. That form has, has stood the test. I think Pat's Fancy is a really good horse and has got a chance in the, going to say the four mile, I mean, it's the two mile, six, the three mile sixer now, isn't it? Um, and I think he could be a horse Pat's fancy next season for something like the Welsh National. Um, and he chased him home at Chepstow. And then he ran second in the, the, uh, the, the on Mandarin. Now that Mandarin time figure was absolutely astonishing, mm. particularly if you compare it further and further with the two-mile handicap chase on the same car. And I wanted to follow that form and the likes of Run to Milan and, and Nesta Park. Um, 
and, and obviously Jericho Rock himself have really boosted that form line. Um, he then went to Warwick and took part in, in the classic chase and he was, he was just up against a horse who got into an amazing rhythm up front, the thing of Emma Lavelle's, mm -hmm. and just got track, you know, track position and just got away from him. But again, he ran up right up to his best. In a period where David Pollard, I think, had, had a, <coughs> a sighted of a winner for about a month. Um, and he's been kept fresh for 59 days. So I presume that the, the target has either been this or the Kim Muir. Um, like I say, he's number 38 in the car. There's a good chance again. I think it's 24 max, isn't it, Rory, this yeah. one? So there's, a, there's half a chance that 14 will drop out between now and Tuesday. And if he was to run in this, I'd be very keen because the, the Pipe team have got a really good record in this race. Mm. Under, 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 what was he called? Umpa 2. Umpa 2. Similar kind of horse won this. So uh, I think the 16 is non running no bet um, for either race. I think if you go back in one or the other, I think yeah. he's going to run in one of them, I'd have thought. Um, would make plenty of sense. So, without, you know, unnecessarily mentioning the horses for the sake of it, I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be more than keen on him, Jericho Rock. Jericho Rock, yeah, best price at the moment is sixteen to one with a couple of firms as short as twelve to one elsewhere. Um, Rory, how do you see the Ultima? Yeah, I, I, I think the the market is a bit upside down in this. I don't fancy the um, uh, the ones at the top. I, I, I'll give um, Dozzy Noah pass. Um, I didn't think he wanted heavy ground. Uh, I thought I thought he wouldn't handle that at Ascot last time out, and he ended up running out an impressive mm -hmm. winner. He's always looked like he's got a lot of ability. The problem with Dozzy No is that he's an absolute nutcase. He will. Um, he's got slightly more chance of killing someone in the parade ring than he does of winning the <laughs> race. He, he's always a massive handful before his races, so it's obviously a bit of a question mark how he will cope with um, with the atmosphere at Cheltenham. He ran at the meeting last year, of course, but there was no one there. Mm. Um, so that's a little bit of a worry. It looks like he's going for this rather than the National Hunt Chase, which he was in as well. Um, so yeah, he's, he's got a, a decent profile, and if the ground dries out, that will suit him as well. But he's, he's won here in good to firm. So the fact that the weather forecast is now looking good is a positive for him. Death duty is the worst gamble I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just an awful, it's just yeah. a, uh, Gordon Elliott said he was the best handicapped horse that he has. And I think what Gordon meant was he's the one that hasn't been crucified by the handicapper. Because <laughs> his, his mark yeah, is yeah. much the same as it is in Ireland. And I think that's roughly what Gordon meant. And everyone's, everyone sort of suddenly thought, oh, this horse has been laid out for a... It's not. Um, the Irish trainers don't lay horses out for the Ultima. They don't care about the Ultima at The Irish all. don't win it, don't they? The runners that the Irish have in it tend to be, you know, tend to be either those who are weighted out of the Kim Muir. The Kim Muir has <coughs> always been the big target for Irish staying handicappers at the festival. Because of the amateur angle. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. And they've got the, best, they've got the best jockeys for that as well. So don't... I mean, it's possible an Irish horse will win this, but most of them who are in here uh, are not really... They haven't been campaigned for the race. Um, and it's, it's best to treat them with a degree of caution. Um, those rated 145 or less are most likely to go for the Kim Muir. Uh, there's plenty of Gordon Elliott horses in there, but um, yeah, Death Duty is a terrible favourite. Uh, I like one at a big price um, who, and I'm, I'm going to lose him now, T Clipper. Um, it has got a, a very interesting, yeah. he's a 25 to 1 shot. He's been confirmed for the race, which is a, which is a positive. Um, he's got an interesting profile in that he was really impressive first time up um, at Chepstow on, on good to firm ground. Um, looked a. Um, Looked a great performer when he won that, uh, and then he went up to, to Grade Two Company and just didn't didn't really give his running at Newbury. Uh, he finished second, but that was the, the only two finishes in the end yeah. uh, in that um, Berkshire Novices Chase. 
And then he went to the, um, the Quarto Star at Kempton over Christmas and he was outclassed by the, the front two there. Uh, and he wasn't really put into that race, I didn't think. He's, he's, um, he's just, it was more of a confidence booster. Um, he, jumped, he jumped better than he had at, uh, at Newbury, um, but he was well beaten in the end by um, Brave Man's Game. But of course, it means that he's got a reasonable handicap mark out of this. He, he, he'll definitely get into this contest. Uh, and I th he's got the right kind of profile. The horses, you know, novice chasers tend to be well here because it's, it's a lot harder for the handicapper to get a handle on him, on them. Uh, and if you judge him on the form that he showed uh, at Chepstow and how that has worked out, uh, he, looks, he looks very well handicapped. And I thought it was interesting that he was put into this. I think it's the only entry he has mm. uh, at the festival, which is always interesting as well. Um, and the, the owner's got a couple of horses in the race and one of the, the other one's shorter than this. But I thought T. Clipper was an interesting one because as I said, conditions are coming in his favour. This time last year, he was placed in really competitive handicaps at both Cheltenham and the entry. He was, he was third in the Coral Cup, and then he was third at the entry as well, which shows that he can mix it off this kind of handicap mark. And he jumped like an old hand on his, on his chase debut. Like a lot of horses who start off well over fences, up in grade, he's just fallen apart a little bit since. But this is obviously a drop in class. Mm. Um, he'll get in here with 10 stone seven as it stands. Uh, again, if you look back at previous winners of this race, you know, it's, it's the up-and-coming horses who get in under 11 stone are the ones to watch as a rule. Um, the exposed horses struggle to win this um, unless they've got previous form in the race. You've got a few horses who come back year in, year out and do well. Vintage Clyde's obviously a great example last year. I think he was having his fifth run in the race mm. uh, when he won it. He'd been placed in it before. Uh, but yeah, T. Clipper, I think, is, you know, you're taking a bit of a chance because his, his last two runs are, are a little bit disappointing. But on the promise he showed first time out, uh, and he produced a very good time figure there as well. Um, against, um, you know, it was a listed race. Uh, I think he would uh, look very interesting in here, and I'm happy to take a bit of a punt on him at 25. S similar to Glory and Fortune in many respects, that that profile going into a big handicap, he, did, not, he didn't disappoint at um, Kempton, but he was well beaten, mm. wasn't he, on ground that didn't suit him. But if you go back to his, I think it was his Welsh champion hurdle for on good ground, yeah. he'd have a serious chance in, in that Betfair hurdle the day, and of course, if he popped at a big price. Mm. So it looks yeah. like a similar approach, run, run them in graded races, yeah. where, they're, where they're not going to do the business, and the handicapper is not going to not going to raise them for that and then you've um, you know you've, you've found your way into handicaps by a, a circuitous route without having to do the old run out at fake and I'm going to finish 10th yeah. <laughs> which is uh, you know which is a very a very crass way of trying to get a handicap mark for children. I'll have um, 20, 50, 50 pounds each way. Uh, T-Clipper please 25 to 1 non-runner bet thank you. 25 to 1 yeah. T-Clipper as you say there Andy 25 to 1 uh, for that one Rory making a very good case there for the Ultima. Uh, Rory, we'll stick with you for the champion hurdle. Um, this looked a few weeks ago like it might be a bit of a, a, bit of a procession for Honeysuckle, who is the 4-7 to seven favourite, but not so much anymore. Appreciate it. Looks like he'll turn up at 7-2. to two. Tiapu proving very popular with many at 8-1. to one. We've got Epitont, previous winner of this race, as discussed with Barry, at 11-1. Adagio, 16-1. Zanahir, 16-1. 33-1. Barr. Um, are you falling into the camp, Roy, of, of, of being pretty keen to take on Honeysuckle? No, I mean, listen, Honeysuckle might not win this race. Um, and, you know, if you look back historically at great jumps horses, they don't go unbeaten through their careers. They, mm. they eventually um, plateau or they meet their match, they meet a better horse, or they just begin to sort of deteriorate and, and, um, uh, and then they get beaten. But there's no, there's no obvious sign of that from her so far. She's unbeaten. Her best form puts her well clear of these, even you know, even the one or two of them are, are improving at the right time. Um, I don't really have a have any desire to take her on. Um, also, with, with horses like her, I don't have any great desire to, to go steaming in at odds on. Um, 
and I've always been looking at this race as, as you know, uh, an each-way race for, for most of the season. Um, Appreciated has been the subject of, of positive reports, but you know, he's only here because he was injured early in the season and couldn't go chasing, and that's, yeah. that can't be a positive. You know, Willie Mullins is an exceptional trainer, and you, you definitely... Um, you, you know, you definitely respect his decision to come here and, and the fact that the, the word from the yard is fairly bullish of late. Um, but no horse has won the champion hurdle on seasonal debut. Um, he's not taken on, you know, he's coming in here straight as a novice. Um, mm. You know, you're, you're going back to a horse called Seneca in the 1940s. Have a horse whose last run was in, in a novice hurdle, um, who's won this before. So, you know, the stats really are against appreciated. And, you know, he's, he's um, I don't want to call him one-dimensional, as a hurdler, but you know we've you know we're basically just looking at the way he's he's um, he's won the supreme last year. It was very impressive. Again, fifty years of supreme winners, however impressive they might have been, have produced no champion hurdle winners the following season, Amazing. and that's a pretty that's mm -hmm. a pretty strong statistic as well. So the fact that you've got him in at seven to two, um, second favourite, you, you can't really back appreciate it um, to, to to beat her. He may well do it. Um, but there are plenty of negatives against him. So I think you have to go each, each way here. I don't really know what to make of Teopu. He did, he did step forward to win the, the Red Mills last time out. He's going the, he's going the right way and he's, he's, a, he's a nice prospect, but he's the kind of horse I would tend to be against um, historically as a, as a five-year-old. I think he's a, he's a horse who might have a big part to play in this next year. And maybe because this, aside from the, the favourite, looks a, a weakish champion hurdle, he might be able to step in there. Uh, and we have we have seen that he he would have a he'd have a reasonably similar profile to Espoir Dalan, you know he didn't yeah he was a good very good um, juvenile hurdle last year but didn't come to Cheltenham and was looked after so he's got that kind of profile and he may well be able to come through and do it but I thought the the solid one the prices come in a little bit of late was Adagio you know he's I uh, he was knocked out in the betting for finishing second at Wincanton and that was a tremendous performance for me because he was coming off an injury and he was up against a course specialist. Um, Mm. And uh, I thought he ran a really good race. To get to the front at all against Goshen in that race, when Goshen had made had made the running and got across to the um, uh, to the stands rail in the straight, I thought it was a, was a very promising performance. I, I, that made me more confident of his chances of making a frame in, in the champion hurdle. And yet, mm. uh, yet he was you know he was a drifter in the betting straight <laughs> after that because people tend to be very binary about um, what they expect of horses. You know, I fight this for the champion hurdle, therefore it must win this Grade Two, or else mm. I don't want to have it. And I spoke to a couple of people who who cashed out their bets on him for the champion hurdle on the basis of that as well. I thought, you know, you need to, you need to have an idea of what you're expecting. Here. Yeah. I thought it was a very good run. He's tremendously consistent. Obviously, he's a five-year-old. That's, you know, you do have that. Um, you don't get too many uh, horses who've, who've um, run on the champion hurdle and then win the champion the next year. Obviously, we have, we've had a few catch it. Obviously, he did the double and, and you know, um, you get great horses like CU there and beating them in the triumph and coming on and winning this. Uh, and my normal... Um, uh, opposition to five-year-olds has kind of dried up a little bit this year because it's a, a different kind of race. His run in the Great Wood was a tremendous race. The Great Wood is a very good trial for the champion hurdle as well. If you're able to be competitive there, it shows that you can deal with whatever champion will throw at you. I don't think he's quite good enough to win a champion hurdle unless it falls apart a little bit, but I think he's, um, you know, he's you're getting around 20 still, aren't you? Or close 16 to, that. to 16 best price, yeah. um, That's still fair enough. I'd back him at 25s and 20s. Um, and I, you know, I, he's he's definitely valued for the place part of that bet. And I think you agree, don't you? Yeah, he's probably my one of my strongest bets on on the, on the card. Have you got something to do with that twenty to one or disappearing? <laughs> no, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Um, I did tour with back in this horse after he ran in the Great World actually mm. for, for the Champion Hurdle. Um, 
I think he was 40s, 33s at the time. Uh, but I, I was really taken aback by that run, you know, for a, a juvenile, because he was only a four-year-old up to the time, um, under 11, 12, to run as well as he did in a what looked a stellar mm. renewal of, of the Great Wood. Um, you know, Tom has told us as well that, that it's good form. Uh, was a sensationally good effort. And it's in keeping with his course record. I think Rory's right, and that's the thing that I've looked at. A lot of these haven't run at Cheltenham yet. Um, you know, your Tihupus, your Tommy's Oscar, and one or two others. Um, but this fella loves it. I mean, he could probably walk himself there, couldn't he? Uh, he's run there four times. <coughs> he's won there. Um, and he, he's finished placed in, in every other run, um, finishing second. Uh, admirable runs as well at that, including his run behind Calixios when he beat Zana here. Um, and what we've seen so far this season, I think he's probably gone forward, whereas Zana here, I think, is probably just flatlined. They're both in and around the same kind of price. I'd sooner have a Adagio because of his trap form than Zana here. Um, like Rory, I was, I was really pleased with his run the other day. Um, he'd been off the track for, was it 90-odd days? Mm. Um, and he'd come looming up there against Goshen. Jamie Moore probably couldn't get his breath. You know, He, he got the, <coughs> the other two absolutely tailed off, including Favreau, who ran well the other day in the, in, in the race up at Kelso, finishing third to Cormier, miles behind. And it was only that lack of a run and, and the tenacious nature of Goshen on that ground in his backyard, let's face it, Wincanton on a soft ground, he's his champion hurdle and they rode him very much like he was. Um, I thought it was a sensational effort. And of course, Tom Scudamore as well, immediately jumped the last and he recognised he couldn't win. Mm. He, wasn't, he didn't beat him up to go and try and give him Adagio a particularly hard race. Uh, so the kind of job was done to get him the final preparations right for the champion hurdle. I think they'll, bu they'll bet quite aggressively on this race on the day as well, with the, with the place terms and, and giving you a chance to to, to back a few of the each way horses, and I, I presume that they'll go four places, some for them, maybe even five, I don't know, but with 10 runners, I think it'd be at least four. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's an astonishingly good bet, 16 to one, four places for a horse who's <laughs> not finished out the first two round here. Um, yeah, he's, he, I think the bet without the favourite market's also quite good, I think. Yeah, 11 to two. 11 to two, yeah. so you're basically betting four places there, if you think Honeysuckle's gonna be in mm. the first four, which by miracles is gonna happen. I think that's a good option as well because he could easily finish second. Yeah, um, normally does. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to skin a cat there without getting involved in the will she, won't she debate about honeysuckle. Me personally, I think she's a bit short at two on. I think the exchanges are, you know, more mm. in, in the the sort of four to five, eight to eleven area. And I think yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna want to lay her, that's where you've got you've probably got to go down that route to find out whether she she, she doesn't win. Um, and I've got a healthy regard as well for Tiupa as well. I'm probably going to pin the two together in some multiples, like you go two in this race, two in that, three in yeah. that. Try and get a few quid rolling on some other horses in, in, in races where you see I've got, a, I've got I, I fancy two in a race. Um, so yeah, I'm more, I'm more than happy to play that project, Adagio each way, and, and, and put Tiupa in a, in, a, in a combination multiple bet as well. Yeah, form figures under David Piper of first, second, first, first, second, 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 second. You don't get much more consistent than that. And as you add with Adagio, plenty of course form as well. Uh, so Adagio, 16 yeah, to all, one. All tough races, those mm. three things. Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't missed any, any, any dancers. He's danced every dance, as they say. 16 to one and, and Tiapu there, eight to one best price as it stands at the moment. All firms currently three places, but as Andy mentions, that could change uh, up until Tuesday. Um, we'll move on then to the mayor's hurdle. Uh, where we've got Tell Me Something Girl, three to one favourite ahead of Concertista at four to one. Queensbrook, 11 to two, Burning Victory, six to one. 
Stormy Arden, 6 to 1. Aurol Kahala, 7 to 1. Mrs. Milner, 10 to 1. Marie's Rock, 10 to 1. As is Echoes in Rain, 12 to 1 bar. And Rory will come to you first for the mares. Yeah, I'm going to keep this fairly brief. It's not a particularly um, exciting race on paper this year. I'm not particularly keen on the favourite. And I'll tell you what I've done. I've backed Concertista, who is in this and the Mare's Chase, and she's been Andy Paul's favourite for the Mare's Chase. She's had a terrible preparation for that. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very unWilly Mullins-like. She's, um, she's won two um, grade two chases against, against moderate opposition. She hasn't massively impressed me in doing it. She looks like she needs more practice over fences. And of course, she, she's, as a novice, who hasn't raced since, um, since December, she's up against um, uh, really hardened um, uh, mares who, who've got the form in the book. And she'll be giving weight to them because yeah. you know the, the trainers of the second and third, or the favorite and the second favorite now, because uh, Concertista's on the drift for that race, um, have made sure that their mares don't pick up penalties. So she's actually, Concertista would have to give weight to Ellie May and she'd have to give weight to, um, um, what's her name? Uh, um, Mount Ida. Mount Ida um, in that as well. And I just think it's not, it's not really Willie's way of, of, um, of preparing one for that. So I've, I've been half expecting a switch to this race uh, for a while. It's interesting that she's confirmed for this. Um, not that that wouldn't, not that, that gives you a massive clue with Willie because he's, he's confirmed one for the National Confirms Chase. Confirms everything he's for not, everyone. Yeah. He's not actually qualified for yeah, that. So, um, so, but I think, you know, all I've done is taken a bit of a swing. If she runs in this race, she's probably a 9-4, to 2-1 to favourite, maybe even shorter than that. So I've just taken all the prices about her. He, you know, Willie said she's not running on this, she'll run on the chase. But he keeps, he keeps, he keeps um, you know, confirming her for the race. So that's, that's the way I look at this. It's not a race that massively excites me. Otherwise... Um, the likes of Martello's guy could run, could run uh, a decent race. She's a very genuine mare, but the ground's drying up too much for her. She handles heavy ground very well. Um, so the fact that it's coming good is probably against her. Um, Indefatigable, who I like, was disappointed last time out as well. So my outsiders aren't, aren't shaping up particularly well at the moment. So it's just a swing at Concertista, knowing that there's a fair chance she's not going to actually run on the day. But if she does, then I'll look super clever. <laughs> Concertista 4 to 1, best price at the moment, seeing if she does run to be a 9 to 4 shot by Rory. Andy? I, I, yeah, I do like this race. I, I thought Black Tears was a, a reasonable each way bet against the, the fancy horses last year, um, trained by, um, well, Sir Gordon Elliott was Denise Foster, but under the umbrella of Gordon Elliott. Mm -hmm. um, only three trainers have won this William Mullins, Henry de Bromhead, Gordon Elliott. So you probably could narrow down your, um, your sort of selections based on that. I, I, I certainly respect Tell Me Something Good and a lot of people who backed her, wise guys, shrewdies, whatever you want to call them, are all on this horse at big prices, identifying the fact that Henry's targeted her at this particular race and a season's gone relatively well without you know hitting the ball out of the park. But five to two, I agree with Roy, looks plenty short enough given the, the strength in depth that we've got here. I think this is quite a good race. Um, lots of horses coming here with strong form lines. Um, Concertista would be a real tricky one uh, to contemplate if she parachuted in from the supposed target of, of the mayor's chase. I, I could do without her running really, because I, I do fancy one in this. I'll get onto in a second. But yeah, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Queen's Brook, um, trained by Gordon Elliott. Um, don't think she's quite in the Apple's J category yet, but um, I just like her consistency and, and, a, and a, a head carriage as well. Every time I've seen Queen's Brook, you, you just look at the way she gets her head down mm. She's a real massive trier, of course, uh, third behind Fernie Hollow uh, in, in, in the um, bumper several years back. So she's got Cheltenham Festival um, credentials. 
And I like the way she's been campaigning this season, just three runs. Needed the run first time out, heavy ground after a 300 odd day layoff. Uh, then she beat Ciel Dinesh, who's obviously no back number. He's won about three or four times over fences subsequently. And then she just caught, caught out the other day. It was a rather surprising tactical switch on Burning Victory, who was well backed. They put cheek pieces on Burning Victory, and her jumping was a lot better for it, being out in front, not having horses around. Um, so I don't, I don't know whether that forms a total red herring or not, but um, it's hard to see Burning Victory, if you fancy her, dominating this field, because you've got Heaven Help Us uh, and, and other horses in there that like to make the running. So I, uh, I don't necessarily... Stormy Island, that's the other one as well. So if, if you fancy Burning Victory, and a lot do, and I can still make a case out for her of sorts, she's going to have a totally different dynamic this time, jumping in behind, and that's always been her slight... Achilles heel, mm. whereas Queensbrook doesn't mind being just held up in the pack and, and being tipped away. So all in all, um, I think Queensbrook's a really, really strong each way bet here. Uh, I know some firms are still 11 to 2. I think she'll be tight 4 to 1, 9 to 2 on the day. I mean, you're only, you're only talking about a point, but mm. I, I, I'm definitely going to be sticking her in a lot of each way multiples. Like I, said, I like the Adagio angle with and without the favourite. And there's plenty of other each way bets that we can talk about during the rest of the meeting. But yeah, I'll be, just, I'll be amazed by an accident if she's in the first three or four, if bookmakers do go four places on the day. Would you be concerned about the grind if it, if it ends up being good on the day? Um, yeah, I think first day, I think they'll probably be about as, better, best, as good yeah. as it's going to be. You know, it's going to be good to soft. Yeah. She should be absolutely ideal. She's won on yielding before. She, she's run well in a champion bumper when it was, you know, good to soft, soft in places. I, 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 do, I won't, actually wouldn't want it the other way, the other way for her. I actually think heavy ground would be a concern, so somewhere right in the middle is ideal. Yeah, Queensbrook 11 to 2. You did take a mare's hurdle off a British trainer at the beginning, though. There's and one Don other. McKay, of course, won the first Don one. Don McKay won the first one. And, and Dan Skilton, Dan Skilton rather fortuitously won it. Yeah, Benny, I'll take that on board. Benny, <laughs> Benny yeah. falling at the yeah. last. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, Dan Skelton brackets. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I, th I think the general trend suggests it's going to yeah. be William Mullins, Emily Bromhead, or, or Gordon Elliott. Yeah, Queensbrook 11 to 2, best price there. We'll move on to the Boodles Juvenile Handicap Hurdle and uh, a pretty interesting betting heat this, given we've got a horse in Gaelic Warrior at the top of the market who is seemingly there more to do with what has been said about him in the in the press and the media rather than anything we've seen on track so far yet to run for Willie Mullins, but of course there's powerful connections, Mullins and Rich Ritchie, 9-4 to four favourite. The tide turns 11-2, to two. Uh, Fedor 7 to 1, who we don't expect uh, to take up this entry. Champion Green 9 to 1 for Joseph O'Brien. Brazil 10 to 1. HMS Seahorse 12 to 1. Saint Segal 12 to 1. 14 to 1 bar. And um, we spoke about this race in depth last week on our Irish um, pointers with Johnny Ward. Andy, so we'll come to you after we've heard from Rory because the guys have probably heard from you. Um, so a couple of questions here, Rory, I guess. Firstly, I mean, what do you make of, of this Gaelic Warrior gamble? And. Um, <laughs> You know, it, does, it, does it open up an opportunity, I guess, to, um, to, for some value elsewhere in the race? It will do in the day. There's not an awful lot of value because you've got an 11 to 4 favourite at the moment because the overrounds um, you know, yeah, are, are just very high. Are, are, are pretty careful. Mm. Um, but obviously, <coughs> when you get declarations, then uh, with a short price favourite, you, you're going to have some, some very big prices for horses who've got place claims. Gilly, well, listen, he, he, on his French form, um, he, he looks very well handicapped. And the suggestion is that he's. His, his handicap mark is an error mm. um, because he's got a French handicap mark and the French handicap mark would be considerably higher. Uh, normally what the British handicapper does is 
he adjusts all the Irish marks, he doesn't adjust the French marks, so the French handicap is given a horse a mark. Um, they've almost always run off the same mark in the UK. Obviously, the, they, they work in kilos in France and mm. we work in pounds over here, but the suggestion is that, um, that they've transcribed that incorrectly and they've ended up giving them, uh, giving them a mark that's, that's, um, that's considerably lower than it should be based on his French form. So I can understand why he's, he's um, short in the betting. I can also understand why he hasn't run, because if he did, once he's yeah. run, <laughs> then he would get an Irish handicap mark yeah. and then that would be open to, be, um, uh, to adjustment. So this is just a, a pretty sneaky one. Willie knows this horse is well handicapped from what he's, from what he's shown. Um, and he doesn't mind winning handicaps with grade one horses. Um, the suggestion is that Felix Warrior probably is a grade one horse. And I'm not going to knock him other than to say that, you know, this, this race throws up um, uh, tough results. It's a big, big field. Um, there tends to be plenty of hard luck stories in it. I'd always want to be looking at something at a big price. Um, you know, la last year's winner, well, in fairness, even if you're looking for a big price last year, you'd have needed seven or eight swings to get the yeah. <laughs> to get the winner at the very least. Um, but um, I, I like one who's who's not guaranteed to get in. He's number twenty nine on the list, but he's definitely overpriced, uh, and that's um, Silver Shade from Milton Harris. Um, he was um, he was a good winner on his his debut at Kempton, although his jumping was very novicey. Um, he was he wasn't a bad sort on the flat. He stayed a mile and six for for Mark Johnson. Um, and he's, um, he's joined Milton and he's won two out of three. He was, I'm not sure if he was outclassed or whether it was just, it just came too soon from the, um, the, the Triumph trial at uh, Cheltenham won by um, Pied Piper. Um, but he finished fifth that day and never really, um, never really got competitive. Um, but he bounced back to form to win um, last time out beating uh, in turn to Civiler who's got some decent form and who also won in the, um, the Cheltenham race before that. Now, there's some debate as to whether Silver Shade should have won that race because he was held up. He was coming through with a challenge at the second last. It was about half a length down when in turn to Sibylla, made a mistake and then lost his back legs coming away from the hurdle and lost a lot of momentum. He then came back and was beaten a length and a half at the end. Um, you can argue that in turn to Sibylla maybe should have won that race. Um, but uh, whatever you think about that, um, on the handicap marks, Silver Shade would have been seven pounds better off for beating the horse a length and a half last time out. So I don't really care whether, whether the runner-up maybe might have won by half a length if, if uh, he hadn't made his mistake. Um, I think Silver Shade would have been the one to take forward for the race anyway. It's also worth pointing out that the, the Fontwell race was, um, was almost two mile two. And because of the, the nature of Fontwell on soft ground, they go right around the outside there as well. So we'd have, they would have covered over two miles and three furlongs that day. And I thought Silver Shade just got tired from the last. And when you're on the stands reel at Fontwell as well, you, you come past the, the exit to the... Um, back to the, the saddling boxes to the parade ring and a lot of horses sort of imagine <coughs> that that's where they're going back out again mm. so they jink there so i thought silver should actually won a little bit better than than, than it looks it's still decent form anyway beating in turn to silver um that is um i think that's thrown out a, a, a subsequent winner as well um in behind them that day so i think that's a really good bit of form the handicappers has overlooked it in my opinion uh, Mike Tiggity-Boo was third. Harlem Soul, who was fourth, won a novice hurdle at Wincanton in his next start. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's, um, that makes the form look a lot better. I think the handicapper looks at that and thought, well, this looks like a really weak race. But any horse who's, who's beaten 40 lengths there, he's able to win a novice hurdle yeah. um, 10 days later, um, suggests maybe not bad form at all. In turn to Sibyl, I think, is a, is a, a talented horse as well. Um, so Silver Shade, just, he's ever so slightly too well handicapped. He's not, uh, number 29 on the list means I think he needs seven horses to come out to get in. And you'd imagine most horses confirmed for this race will be running at Fieldor, I'd imagine, probably goes Triumph Hurdle. Yeah. And you might get one or two more obvious um, dropouts, but it might be the Silver Shade ends up being a, um, 
uh, a reserve for this or just misses the cut. But I don't really mind that. I'm, he, he was, what is he? He must be 33 or 40 to 1. 40 to 1 best price. 40 to 1 is a really, really good price about a horse who's as well treated <coughs> as uh, Silver Shade is. Um, I know Milton Harris thinks a lot of him as well. Milton's very open about his horses. You know, some trainers tend to be a little bit, mm. you know, uh, I don't want to give away too much here. And some are overly positive about their horses because they want to advertise how good they are at training them. And some of them are just very open, and Milton's very open. Um, he thinks a lot of Silver Shade thinks he's well handicapped, and I agree with him. So if he sneaks in at the bottom, I think 40 to 1 is a, is a good price. And of course, if you're backing him at 40 to 1, one want to know bet. Your worst case scenario is you're getting your money back, and we're just hoping we get enough dropouts uh, to get him in. Yeah, Silver Shade there, 40 to 1 for Milton Harris, the one for Rory at a big price. And Andy, <coughs> might not be a big price, but I know there's one in here that you really fancy. Yeah, um, good spot by Rory on a big price one there. Um, not a bad time figure either. I'll, I'll just um, put a bit of chicken yeah. on the bone there. That, that was a good number, that was that mm -hmm. five-wide race. He's not a million miles off the top. We've got um, top-rated horse here on the number 67, and, and that horse is a 61 of Farmwell, so not bad for a 40 to 1 shot, that. But yeah, I mean, we've got the classic um, Cheltenham talking horse here, haven't we? Mm -hmm. um, there's always one every year, and, and this is the one that um, does the rounds, and, and it's great for the sort of um, preview nights and people embellish you know, the, the sort of um, stories behind a horse like Gaelic Warrior. You know, he should have £10 more. He's been working with Do Vuban and he's been beating that. And um, obviously, they haven't, they haven't run him since, um, getting the handicap mark and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's got to overcome one or two stats. He's got to overcome a big field at Cheltenham. I mean, that, it's all right working well at home. He's got to run around Cheltenham. And, you know, he, does, he, does he come up a hill? Does, <laughs> we just don't know these things, do we? There's lots of question marks. Also about Maxios as well, a stat I threw out there the other day. Um, no, no British train, British bred, uh, bred mm. sire has ever won this race and there's been 62 tries and he's by Maxios. Like I said, I'll just throw it out there because um, I'd rather um, um, give it out than, than not. Than mm. not. Um, and Willie Munners has never won this race either. So, you know, does five to still still float your boat? Nine to four best price. Yeah, nine to four. It wouldn't be for me. One of those ones I just think you just have to take on the chin. You just have to say, well, you know, the guys that knew the time of day were clearly too clever for us, mm. uh, and, and you just accept it. But I think the tide turns is is the one I'd, I'd want to be with here. Um, Gordon Elliott's won this race three times. He won it with a horse called Flax and Flair back in the day as well, um, who was fifth in the Spring Juvenile behind uh, the mighty Al Connor, but got beat 29 lengths that day and. Ty Turns finished fifth this year, fourth this year in the best juvenile time figure that we've got mm. behind Vuban, who's a very short price favourite to win the trials, deservedly so as well. We've already seen the fifth horsey car prince bolt up next time out. Uh, and they probably came away from that race thinking, well, we haven't got a triumph hurdle horse, but we, m we need to get him to the Boodles. Mm. So where do we run him? I know we're running him in the Red Mills, can't win that race, but we can get him handicapped off of it. Travelled really strong mm. into that race. He looked like he was going to win three out, two out, and then on their heavy ground, <coughs> they'd looked after him, and he finished a respectable fourth behind good horses. You know, Tia yeah. was third favourite to win the triumph. <coughs> for goodness' sake, that time figure was exceptionally good. Um, he's come out, come out of it with one thirty-seven, um, which is, I think, a pound lower than when Aramax won it uh, several years ago for going off one thirty-eight, and he's a better horse than Aramax, I think. Uh, funny enough, he's, he's yet to run on the turf on the flat. All his runs are on the all-weather. He's really? nine times for Sir Mark Prescott, and they were all on the, the all-weather. But, you know, his three turf runs have been perfectly respectable over in Ireland. But I think he'll actually improve for the better ground, looking at him. 
So, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to back him six to one, four places. They're bound yeah. to go five, six places on the day. That, that would really open up a good bet there. So there's lots of nice each-way bets I'm mentioning mm. here that you think, well, what could possibly go wrong? So uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be disappointed if he doesn't um, at least, you know, justify my confidence behind him. 11 to 2, best price. The tide turns uh, a strong one there for Andy, taking on the hot pot Gaelic warrior. Uh, just, I was just reading Gordon, Gordon Elliott's um, comments about the horse, which, are, which again, I think Gordon's a really um, honest trainer in his assessment of his mm -hmm. horses. Um, he's, um, he speaks pretty highly of him and says particularly that he will be a better horse on good ground, which he mm. may well end up getting on this point. See day. the moon as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that, that, would, that would lead you to believe that anyway. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, let's hope he's right. 11 to 2, as it is at the moment, maybe bigger. Uh, once we get final decks in with that favourite uh, at the top of the market. Uh, on then to the final race of the day uh, on the Tuesday, the National Hunt Chase. We've got a joint favourite to the top, Statler and Runwild Fred, both 11 to 4. Vanillier is 9 to 2. Farouk Dallain and Fury Road, both 8 to 1. Pat's Fancy on the ropes, uh, 300 through 5, or 10 to 1. Does he know 12 to 1? 14 to 1 beyond that. Uh, Andy will come to you for the, for the closer. I don't mind Statler as a horse. Uh, I, think he's I think he's improved since he's gone over fences, and he was good last time out when he beat subsequent winner for Delane. Um, I just can't get out of my head. He's, he's modest running last year's Albert Bartlett. Willie's had several similar horses like this that have come to the festival time and time again and not really done what they should do. Um, and he's a bit inexperienced for a race of this nature. That's Money Nickel as well. He, most of the winners of this race have had plenty of runs under their belts. Mm. By design, they are novices, so they're not going to run that many times. But I want something that's had at least four or five runs or something in around that mark. And he's only had two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it tends to go for ones that have been around the block a little bit more than him. So two to one, again, I'd probably be more, more than happy to lay him than back him at that price. I've got a real healthy respect for Run Wild Fred. He was one of my um, first dips into the anti-post Grand National Market this season. I've backed him at 50 to 1 back in October based on his runs in the Irish National last year and, and the Troy Town uh, victory, of course. Um, that, and he's been specifically targeted for this race. He's just a little bit leery. I mean, he, he almost walked through one down the back straight at Leopardstown last time out, which ultimately cost him. Um, but he's, he's the kind of horse with the experience behind him. He knows what he's doing. He can, mm. he can look after himself, for want of a better word. Yes, he's only won one in nine or whatever it is, but he's basically turned up every time and run to a massive standard. He's guaranteed to stay. You know, his Irish national run on good ground last year proves that. So I'd, I'd, I'd rather be with him. I think he's a very, very solid, not to say favourite, but he's second favourite now. thought he was a worthy anti-post favourite um, a few months back. Um, and the other one that interests me at a price, um, I'm not quite giving up on him yet. He's on the ropes. Um, I was really impressed with him when he won early on in the season at Limerick. He looked a horse tailor-made for, for this race. His campaign has slightly gone a little bit shape of the pair since then. He, he missed the break at Newbury in the, the, the old Hennessy, and he mm. never really got competitive, but I thought he, he showed a hell of a lot of tenacity to finish fourth. Um, he's, he's dis he was disappointing in the grade one next time out for, for sure. But there was a bit more life in him last time out. But the fact that he has run in grade ones mm. suggests that they, they do think, you know, stand, um, hold him in high regard. And he looks like being a runner where they could have had handicaps on their mind. So 
And I think this test already suited him. He's looked, you know, he, he looked for all the world the other day. Like three miles around Garen was, was insufficient for him. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I think I'd, I'd ten to one, I'd probably play him. So my strategy is going to be run wild, Fred, and then a little cover bet on on the ropes. Run wild, Fred, eleven to four on the ropes, ten to one, uh, best price, including sponsors of the pods, eight 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 sports. Uh, Rory, how are you playing the last? Uh, first horse I backed for the festival this year was um, Run Wild Fred <laughs> for this race. Just, you know, blindingly obvious profile. What price um, can we ask? Uh, it wasn't a massive price. It was only, it was only um, 5 to 1, 11 to 2. Um, the question was um, <coughs> the owners aren't mad to run horses in this race anymore, so Gordon had to convince them. But he's been, every time he's been asked about it, he, he keeps trying to hammer home that he, this horse is, is ideal for the National Hunt Chase. And he is. I mean, again, you, you look at the, the horses who've won this. I know, I know um, uh, uh, you know, Willie's won it with one in, in, uh, in the same colours as Statler before, Ralph Thinton, but he had. He was a uh, second season, obviously, had lots of experience. Um, Tiger Roll, obviously, had, you know, uh, despite being a seven-year-old, he had, he had plenty of experience. Um, uh, Ravenhill, similarly. Um, Galvin, uh, you know, he was a second season novice who'd, who'd run really well at the festival the previous the previous year, you you can go back twenty odd years, and and re this is the one. The further you go with chases, the more experience seems to count. Uh, similarly, looking at the Grand National, you don't you not you don't tend to look for unexposed horses for those staying chases. You look for horses who've proven that they can do it uh, to a degree. And Run Wild Fred has got the perfect um, uh, the perfect blend for this race. If you ran him and Statler in a three mile Grid One novice, you'd have Statler every day of the week, wouldn't you? But this is not your typical novice. It's uh, it's an extended three mile six. Um, probably a big field. Um, it's just a very different kind of race, and it will suit Ramal Fred really well. Uh, whereas, you know, Stantler, Willie doesn't like um, coming here. You know, once he finds out how good a horse it is, he tends to put them away for Cheltenham, and that works very well for certain races, not so well for others. And the National Hunt Chase is one where it doesn't particularly uh, work. Now, he has won up with a horse with a similar profile um, in the past. Um, uh, it was a back in focus he won this, who didn't have an awful lot of. An awful lot of experience, but also he's had, a, had a, a several disappointments with horses who've got you know grid one, grid two form, and have looked the best horse in the race and haven't come up um, to scratch on the day. So I'm more than happy to have one wild Fred here. He's a skinny enough price now, um, but uh, he's it's very hard to knock a hole in him. Um, yes, he, he made that one dreadful mistake at Leverstown. Didn't bother him though. No. That's the weird. And he did, he, did, he, he did not look at the fence at all. He just walked straight through he it. He didn't look at the ground, did he? No, exactly. And he just, yeah. he just carried on quite happily. It probably cost him a little bit in terms of his finishing effort, but he didn't, uh, he didn't turn a hair. He's, he's one of those horses who will just turn up and do it. Um, and um, as you said, he stayed, we know he stays three miles six anyway. Um, he's got form in, in, in um, the top staying um, handicaps. It just ticks in all the boxes. Simple as that, really. So he's, he's very hard to get away from for me. Romuald Fred, uh, a double pick for the guys in the lucky last on the Tuesday at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, just about done with our day one preview. We'll be doing our day two, day three and day four previews after this. So do look out for those. But before we move on, going to come to you both for your nap of the day. Just your, your best bet of the day. Rory will come to you first. Well, I've got, I've got two that I really fancy <coughs> that, that might not <coughs> run. And I think it's probably, it's probably too cheeky to do that. <laughs> um, so I will... Um, I will go in at SP Ooh. with Edward Stone, or sorry, you know, best best morning price Edward Fine. Stone in the article. Nine thirty a.m. Tuesday nine, morning. <laughs> but when, when do they go best? About, about eleven o'clock. Okay. They'll, they'll be pushing those prices out. So yeah, whatever whatever price he is, sort of mid morning, will will uh, will will be value on the table. Set your alarms, Andy. 
I don't think Rory's going to get four to one, by the way, about Edward Stone. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he's quite going to go. Is, that, is, that, is that your nap, that Rory doesn't get his four to one? <laughs> he won't get four to one, <laughs> I guarantee you that. Um, I'm really torn here because there's a hell of a lot I do like each way. Which is the best value of the ones I've mentioned? Mm. It's so difficult. Um, school of thought. Too many good things. Well, they've all, they've all got a similar shape to them, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're nice races to bet in. But I'd, I'd probably, the one I'd have the most confidence that, barring accidents, should be in the frame would be Queensbrook. I think, Queen. I think that 11 to 2 at the moment, obviously it's 11 to 2, three places, but even if you got 5 to 1, four places on the day, don't think you'd be too far wrong with that. There you go, Queensbrook and the Mayor's the one for Andy. Thank you very much for taking the time to watch uh, this podcast, well, watch this video preview and, and listen to the podcast. Uh, we're about to record Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday preview, so if you've enjoyed this, do subscribe to the Auto Checker YouTube page where you can find those previews there and plenty of other content as well. Thank you very much to both Andy and to Rory for sharing their thoughts. Thank you to 888 Sport for sponsoring the show and to their ambassador, Barry Geraghty, for joining us at the top of the show as well. Hopefully, it will be a first day of the festival that lives up to our expectations. And please do ensure that at all times you're gambling responsibly.